banded together by a mutual yearning for the more simplistic times and random fun of the comic books of yesteryear. Alec Berry and Scott Gardner now travel back. Back to the bins! Welcome to Back to the Bins, number 14. I am Scott Gardner. And I am Tony Stark. <laughs> the Invincible Iron Lad. What's up, man? Not much, man. How are you? I'm doing just peachy keen today. I'm just getting off the bottle. but it's It's been rough. But, uh, <laughs> well, you get off man. it, and I'm going to get on it, I think. <laughs> the way things have been lately... I think I'm going to start hitting the bottle a lot more heavily. But anyway, I think it is your turn to go first this time, so what do you got? All right, I got a book. It's uh, convenient, I said Tony Stark, because this is the Invincible Iron Man number 80 from the original series. Wow. Cover dated November 1975. This is written by Mike Frederick. Uh, with pencils by Chick Stone, inks by Vince Coletta. This, first of all, has a great, great, great cover by Kirby, inked by Al Milgram. It's just Iron Man out in the cosmos of space. It's awesome. Uh, but, the actual story? Disappointing, and I don't even know what the hell happened. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, first of all, I think this issue was the first issue that had come out of Iron Man in a while, because they give this sort of um, exposition of like saying, you know, sorry that this book hasn't been on time for a while, we know that the story has gotten sort of uh, messy, and it's hard to remember things, but we're going to bring you up to speed real quick, which is kind of good just because I picked this up, you know, randomly, so it's like I kind of have an excellent good idea what was going on. Uh, from what I can tell... Iron Man got sucked into this sort of other dimension where he was fighting this, uh, in the middle of this, like, villain war. Uh, you know, he got just kind of trapped in it. And, um, there was this character known as the Black Llama, which is a horrible name, uh, who had this orb. And <laughs> there's another character known as Firebrand who wants this orb. And, uh, Black Llama kind of torments him and takes it into this other dimension. Or, well, he throws the orb into another dimension and Firebrand chases after it. And, uh, for some reason, Tony Stark Iron Man doesn't want, uh, Firebrand to get hurt, so he goes after him and leaps into this dimension as well. And, uh, you know, the, tra the traveling dimensions and kind of thing. And they end up in this other, uh, you know, dimension where they're, they end up just in this random, like, uh, court, uh, hall for, like, a kingdom. And the queen's on the throne, and got these wacky dressed people. They look like Vikings, and like it's like a cross between Star Wars and Vikings. That's what it kind of reminded me of. Uh, you know, they just pop out of nowhere, and these like the guards are freaking out, like what's up? What's up with this guy in the suit and this guy, other guy? Uh, so Firebrand and Iron Man kind of start like fighting these guys because they kind of have to keep themselves safe. Uh, Black Llama shows up, and he starts kind of like uh, tormenting this the one of the characters. Um, King Gerald, and Gerald's kind of like, uh, you know, he's not happy to see Black Llama, and he kind of slinks away, uh, you know, battle continues, uh, the artwork throughout the battle isn't bad, I just kind of gets the job done, uh, there is one kind of cool page where Iron Man looks like he's flying off the page at you, as he's like diving to tackle somebody, uh, it's kind of cool, um, ah, yes, they end up, 
in uh like in this back of this uh like the back of this hallway and they're hiding from these guys because they're like you know shooting at them and they find the queen and this king Gerald and uh it turns out that uh the black llama somehow he takes off his mask is king Gerald I don't know how that happened because King Gerald and Black Llama were in the same panel just a couple pages ago. <laughs> um, I don't know how that was explained because it wasn't really explained. But Iron Man's like shocked and he's like, you're the Black Llama? And the Black Llama's like, yeah, I'm on your side, even though he's been tormenting him the whole time. Um, and then the Black Llama starts to kind of go into his past and why he's now on the side of... Um, Iron Man and Firebrand. It turns out that King Gerald was um, handed down the crown from a troubled king. And, and this crown had some sort of magical power that uh, ensues madness. So, he, uh, you know, he wanted to escape this trouble. So Gerald uh, creates this orb, which we saw earlier. It is like an extra-dimensional transporter. And uh, he disguises as the Black Llama to kind of take off to another dimension and meditate on his madness. But it turns out that uh, once he went there as well uh the madness somehow was contagious and infected this dimension that he was in in the people and uh he was kind of frightened by this so he had to take off again and he ended up coming to iron man you know our our dimension and uh it turns out iron man has somehow been ensued by this madness and uh he wanted to somehow fix it because he if he saw the potential in iron man that he could destroy this they actually destroy that world so he threw him into this villain fight just to kind of work off his rage, but it turns out it doesn't. It didn't really do much. And now the madness is both in Iron Man and Firebrand, and now they're in uh, the Black Llama's home world. That's kind of where we're left off at the end. Is that you know, if we don't fix your, uh, if we don't release your rage soon, you will end up destroying this dimension and us with it. Uh, My I wife tells me that all the time. <laughs> Goddamn comic prices! If we don't work off your rage, you're going to destroy this entire dimension. I hear that shit all the time. <laughs> I don't know. I thought this issue was just really kind of boring. Uh, I didn't really care for the story at all. Uh, I don't know. The characters weren't that interesting. I mean, even Iron Man as a lead for this book really wasn't interesting, I didn't think. Uh, I don't know. The artwork, like I said, it got the job done. I didn't think it was anything amazing. Um... I just thought that, I, I mean, I'll be honest, as after I read it, I automatically like, forgot the story. Uh, I really had to read this and kind of refresh just to do this review. Um, now, I, I don't know, it's just, I don't think what were you going to say? I don't think it's just you. I mean, I've got, I don't know, maybe I'm talking out of school here, or talking out of turn, whatever the hell that turn of phrase is, but I like... Iron Man, the old, old Iron Man stuff back in Tales of Suspense when he was sharing the title with Captain America. Mm -hmm. And then I like Iron Man, I forget exactly where it starts, but sometime after Iron Man 100 where, like where Bob Layton came on board and did a lot of the, you know, the inking and a lot of the art chores and, and everything. I forget who the writer was. I think it was Michelini possibly. But that period between, like, when when Colin left as the artist and like Iron Man 100 a, a lot of that stuff from like those first 100 issues is is really like you're describing it's easily forgettable the art's a little bleh, yeah. and the stories just are kind of eh you know i mean i granted i've only read a 
you know, maybe one in one in five of that that first hundred issues. But what I've read of it, I just I was not horribly impressed with. You know what I mean? Yeah. But uh, once once Iron Man got past a hundred, and uh, you know there was a couple issues in there where Byrne did the art, and then you started to get into the stories of like uh, Madame Mask, and you know he eventually worked his way. Oh my God. <laughs> Worked his way to, you know, like his battles with the Hulk and alcoholism and all. That's when, you know, that's the classic Iron Man period, you know, that, that yeah. you know, that that's really good stuff. It's the stuff that, you know, most older fans remember and, and everything. But, yeah, that pre-100 stuff, ugh, yeah, that, that, some of that's rough reading. So, yeah, I, I, know, I, I, know, Colin, I know Gene Colan did some of the early stuff, like the artwork. So, I mean, it, it have to have something good there. Oh, yeah. Uh, Mm-hmm. I mean, I just think it's a shame because I do think Iron Man is an interesting character, like, as a concept. And, I mean, it's like, it really kind of bummed me out reading this. It was like, this is the best you can come up with for Iron Man? <laughs> uh, you know, a genius, uh, a guy having all sorts of technology, and he's rich. Uh, this is it? You know, couldn't there be a little bit more uh, done with him? I mean, it, it stinks, because, like, I, I, I want to dig Iron Man as a character, but I just couldn't get into it this with this story, and like you said, it was easily forgettable, as you can probably tell with my review. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I would encourage you to, to check out that, that post-100 stuff. I'm struggling to remember exactly what issue it is where where it begins. I mean, Iron Man is, is kind of unusual, I think, because this for this era, you didn't get a lot of like continuing storylines and, and things that built up, you know, and, and carried forward and all that sort of thing. But Iron Man was one of those books. And I'm thinking it was right around like the 110s or thereabout. Like one oh I, I know like, like one oh nine was a was a John Byrne issue where he fought uh Dark Star and the Vanguard and all those guys. But I'm thinking right around one oh nine or thereabouts is where the story started to really build and you had a continuing storyline of you know, basically the you know, the adventures of Tony Stark. He became sort of secret agent ish, and it's just some really really solid stuff in there. You know, you get to the whole demon in a bottle, and then past that, you know, the introduction of Rhodey and just different adventures. You know, he battles Doctor Doom, and we start to see different types of armor and just a lot of like like uh, industrial espionage type of stories. I mean, that I think that's a solid a solid run. You know, from about right around like 109 or so, right up to about 150, 160. Really good stuff. And then it picks up again, you know, uh, a little bit after that, you know, when uh, when he has to battle uh, uh, Obadiah Stane, you know, for control of his company and everything. You know, that's right around the 200s. And then from about 200 on up for a while, Iron Man got really good again. So, I mean, you know, he was a character that had... You know, ups and downs. And, you know, I, I agree with you. That early Colin stuff, that's some awesome stuff. I can't remember when that ended. I can't remember if Colin was still on the book when the book became Iron Man number one or not. I, I really don't remember, to be honest I with you. Think, I think he did that cover, so. Right. Yeah. I just can't remember if he, I can't remember who the artists might have been when, when Iron Man actually went into his own solo book. But I know that Colin did a lot of the Tales of Suspense. The Tales of Suspense Iron Man stuff, I, I really dig. It's just a lot of this 
this pre 100 stuff of his own title, I just don't think was all that, that fantastic. And a lot of it's the art too, to me, you know, it's, you know, these older stories can be tough to get through as it is because there's so much exposition. And a lot of times they're, they're a little simpler. They're a little wackier because, you know, they still, a lot of times were pandering to kids and everything. So it can be tough to get through as it is, but when you've got really nice art, you know, by somebody solid, it, it makes it easier to digest, but when the art's substandard as well as the writing, then yeah, it, then it's just you got to kind of slog through it, you know. Yeah, I could so, agree with that. So I, I definitely feel you on that. Cool. All right, Scott, bring it up. Lighten all right, we're back to the all Marvel love again. I don't know what it is. I mean, it's uh, you know, I swear we're doing the show at random, people. That's that's no that's no lie. But all right, we are. Uh, Traveling back this time again, another 10-year jaunt back to October of 1999. This is Captain America. I like to say it like that because that's how my video game says it. (laughs) Captain America, Volume 3, Number 22. This is an issue I hunted for for a long time, and I'll get into the reasons why in just a moment. Cover on this gorgeous cover by Andy Kubert who is very hit and miss to me. There's certain characters and certain concepts I think he's very, very good with, and then other ones, uh, not so much. But, man, he draws a great Captain America. Love the art, uh, both on the cover and in this issue. Um, written by Mark Wade, who, you know, he writes a great Captain America. I, I think he's one of the, the top Captain America authors in, in my book. Love his Cap stuff. Inked by... Uh, Ed Brubaker, but that's just me. I like some of that stuff, but not uh you're just trying to wind me up, damn you. No, I just love Eddie. <laughs> I was expressing my feelings. It's uh continue. Go ahead. Inked in this one by somebody I've never heard of, Jesse Delperdang. And maybe that's a made up name. I really don't know. It might be a pseudonym, but anyway. Original cover price on this was a dollar ninety nine. I'm not sure what I paid for it. Probably not a dollar ninety nine. Anyway, we start right off instant. Uh, I mean, you're right in the thick of the story, right out of the gate. There's not really much of a, of a recap or anything. Captain America is in a Quinjet, and he is racing to get to Wondagore Mountain that's located in um, Wakanda, you know, the, the realm, the, the kingdom of uh, the Black Panther. He's traveling there, and he's got in the back, you know, there's a great panel of, of Cap at the controls, and he's strapped into the pilot seat. He's got a very grim, determined look on his face. Behind him is this giant, weird-looking machine, and it's holding his shield, his his original uh, shield, you know, the one that's made up of uh, vibranium and adamantium. And it's all literally, like, all duct taped together and everything. It's being held together by wire and duct tape. This was the reason I had been hunting for this issue. Is if you'll remember this series, this volume three, this is the the one that started out with the heroes return when you know they came back from you know the whole heroes reborn thing and were reintegrated into the Marvel universe. Um, in the second issue of this series, Cap actually lost his shield at sea. There was some story where he had to rescue people from like a submarine or something, and in the course of the rescue his shield was lost. And I always wondered, you know, how did Cap get his shield back? I had never actually read the story. And I'm still not sure how he actually 
got the shield. I think what it somewhere in the course between issue two and this one, which is number twenty-two, I think Namor found it for him and gave it back. And when it was pulled out of the oceans, or some something to do with it having been at the bottom of the ocean or something, caused it to fracture and break. If I'm remembering correctly. Anyway, in this story, the shield is all broken up and and it's literally being held together by spit and bailing wire. So anyway, Cap is uh is racing to this mountain because it turns out that there is a sonic cancer that uh, somehow it's been caused by vibranium molecules having come out of alignment. And so there's like this wave of of like this sonic cancer is spreading out all across the uh, the globe, destroying vibranium as it goes. And when it reaches Wondagore Mountain, which is constructed or, or you know, it's like the, the this big deposit. It's basically the mountain is made of vibranium. When it gets there, it's all going to go kablooey and probably blow up like most of Africa and, you know, like basically take the continent with it. So he's trying to stop this from happening. As he gets there, he's attacked by this big, giant, pink, weird-looking, genie-looking thing. And... uh you know, Cap sets down, he sets up the device that, you know, Tony Stark invented this device that's basically going to use his, you know, the remnants of his shield to channel this uh, this sonic cancer and basically dissipate it and, and hopefully save Wondergore Mountain and all of Africa and all this. So he sets up this device. As he's setting it up, you turn the page and there is a beautiful two-page, full two-page spread, gorgeous Cuber art of these, like, pink, demon-looking African animals attacking, like, charging Cap, like a big stampede. There's, like, demon elephants and wildebeests and rhinoceroses and giraffes and all. It's really freaky, but it's just gorgeous art. And, you know, Cap's pretty quickly putting together what's going on. You know, if, if there's these giant constructs and they're colored pink and all this, then he knows what's going on. He's up against his old enemy, Claw, the, you know, the guy that's made out of solid sound. And I just got to say, I think Claw could be a great villain, but he's so lame. I mean, he's got a <laughs> stupid looking outfit and he's got, I mean, why do they call him Claw? I mean, I know he's got this... scary. That's a scary name. But it's got nothing to do with him. I mean, he's got this big sonic blaster thing on his arm. (laughs) So why did... you know? But it doesn't look like a claw. It looks like a blaster gun. So I think... I know that there's a DC character already called Sonar, but I think this guy should have a name like Sonar or Sonic or the Sonic Disruptor or something something to do with sound because he's made up of like... He's either made of solid sound or he makes things that are solid sound or so, something to do with solid sound anyway. But the claw just is stupid. It doesn't have anything to do with with his power. I mean, Wolverine should be called claw. You know what I mean? <laughs> this guy doesn't have anything to do with claws at all. I just don't get the, the naming of this guy. But anyway, I think with a costume makeover and a new name, this guy could be a truly awesome villain. Anyway, Cap at this time, you know, he's armed with... Uh, with that photonic shield that he has, you know, that's actually like part of his gauntlet. So he goes up against Claw and just repeatedly gets his ass kicked. You know, Claw is just totally owning Cap in this fight. And in the midst of the battle, Claw actually destroys the device that that Tony Stark had created. 
And there's a great reaction panel from Cap where he just he has this look of just shock on his face. He gets over it pretty quick and he he just totally lays into Claw because Claw, you know, has basically condemned billions of people to certain death by destroying this machine. So, you know, as he's beaten the crap out of uh out of Claw, suddenly Claw feels the sonic cancer wave approaching and absorbs it. So he, he just basically channels the wave to become just godlike, just like mega, super wicked, powerful. And he's the most, oh my God, I can't believe you in that computer. Every show. I know. So there's a, a great panel of, of Claw just like getting drunk on all this power. And, uh, and he basically, he, he becomes like a, like a flying spirit kind of thing. And he's circling around, sucking up all this energy. And Cap knows that, you know, he's going to come down and just annihilate him. So, you know, he's left basically defenseless. The only thing that's left around is the remnants of his of his original shield, you know, the one that's all duct taped up and everything. So with nothing else to defend himself with, he picks up this shield and, and realizes that, you know, this is the end. You know, he's going to die. And, you know, he'd, he'd rather face the end, you know, with his old friend, his old shield in his hand than, you know, just stand there and, and accept his fate. So he does that. Another great two-page spread of Claw coming down just as this giant wave of energy that washes over Cap. And Cap's, you know, all braced with his shield trying to defend himself and stay alive and everything. And as he's braced against this, suddenly we see that the shield start to ping and pop. And it's having some sort of, of reaction and all of the stuff that's attaching all the duct tape and the wire and all the stuff that's holding it together starts to, to pop off of it. And we get a great splash page of Cap standing up and his shield has been totally re, uh, you know, reformed and, uh, and reintegrated. And he's standing there and Cap's just going, I don't believe it. And, uh, you know, by this point, Claw is basically spent. You know, he's he's used up all this massive energy charge that he had trying to take Cap out, and all he basically did was realign Cap's shield and reform it. So he's basically powerless, and Cap, you know, now armed with his original shield, beats the shit out of him and ends <laughs> up smashing him into, like, millions of little teeny tiny pieces, you know, almost like he's made of glass or something. But all these pieces are actually, you know, made of sound. So he, he just kind of dissipates, you know, it's like the, the sound just becomes like little whispers on the wind and they all dissipate and, and blow away. And Cap, you know, he realizes that, you know, he'll probably be able to reform himself and all that. But for now he's one and, uh, you know, great final page of, Cap, you know, catching his shield, his shield does, you know, the the kind of the frisbee thing that his shield yeah. does. It comes back to him. He catches it out of the air. And uh, the last panel is Cap just holding his shield. And he says, mission accomplished. And the look on his face, it really looks like Cap's actually teared up. You know, it looks like he's just so happy to have his shield back, you know, that that's really just 
it's like an old friend. It's like an actual extension of his body that that he really does look kind of kind of choked up on that last page, and uh, and that's how the book ends. And I loved this. I was just like, I'm a sucker for you know friendship stories and that sort of thing. And granted, the shield is an inanimate object and all that, but. It was just it was just a great issue, you know, of Cap finally being re- reunited with his shield and all. I mean, because what is what is Cap without his shield? You know, it's just such a part of him and, and his character and the legend of Captain America and all. It was just great. I I loved this issue and really enjoyed it. And uh, you know, Cuber just knocked it out of the park art wise on this. Just really really beautiful art. And uh, and the story, you know, while it was it was a little simple. And all that, you know, the the threat was a little wonky, and and you know, there's really, you know, beyond the fight, there's not much to it. And it could have been done sappily, or it could have been done whatever. I just, I, I was a sucker for it, man. I loved it. I thought it was so, you know, it it was just such a a, a heart tug kind of an issue, and I, I love those kind of comics, you know. Yeah. So. Anyway, that was uh, that was Cap Twenty Two. I, I got a big kick out of it, man. And I, I've got to eventually. I've got to finish reading uh, Wade's run on Cap. I've read all the stuff he did for you know Cap Volume One. You know that ended when when he died in the onslaught and all that. But I've only ever read just a smattering of the the Heroes Return stuff. So now this makes me anxious to to check all that out because I you know Mark Wade just he writes a great Captain America. He really nails the character. I think. Well, it's timely that you talk about Captain America with all the uh, hubbub. Right, that's, that's true. That's yeah. true. Now, are you following all that? Oh yeah, I, I read Cap every month. It's probably, I think, in my opinion, it's one of Marvel's best books they're putting out right now. I, I love that book. I love what Brubaker's doing with it, and I, I'll follow that till it's done. I mean, it's, it's a great book right now. It's, I mean, honestly. Uh, maybe too soon to say, but I, I think that's probably, in time, going to be one of my favorite like comic book runs, uh, period. Uh, that, that's just how much I enjoy it. I was digging it till they killed him off. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, so that's I, when I picked it up. <laughs> oh, man. You think he'll come back? Oh, yeah, he'll come back. That's when I'll jump back on. That's a whole other topic that I'm not going to get into, but yeah, he'll come back. <laughs> so are we wrapping it up for this one? That's that's number 14. Captain America and Iron Man in one show, and there wasn't any blood between them. It was all right. No civil war here. That wraps up another episode of Backs in the Bins. If you would like to contact the show, please email at backstothebins at gmail.com. All content featured in this episode is the sole property of myself and Scott Gardner. No rebroadcasting or retransmission of this content is permitted without the written consent of myself or Scott. Back to the Bids is an Alec Barry, Scott Gardner production, copyright 2009. Please join us again next time and we will travel back. Back to the Bids. <laughs>